So, 200,000 have died. Uh, that came out today. Uh, I'm not even sure that number's accurate. I think it's possibly a lot more than that that weren't counted. So, we have a president that went out last night. Uh, his quote was literally, uh, it doesn't affect, uh, it affects virtually nobody. Um, we have uh, a conservative, uh, I think power play is being generous. I, I would say a judicial coup underway, considering uh, their hypocrisy and inconsistencies uh, with filling the vacancy uh, of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. When you consider what looks like now it's going to happen with Mitt Romney uh, saying he will uh, support a nominee before the election, possibly, uh, that could be 50 to 75 years of conservative rule, give or take, uh, on the Supreme Court. Um, and we also have, I mean, it hasn't been talked about, we're going on two months since the expiration of that unemployment of $600. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, obviously you're running against Nancy Pelosi. The action really will be in the Senate if Democrats could stop anything in terms of this nominee. Uh, but it just, Not entirely. it just seems like we have no opposition party in this country. Obviously Trump is terrible. He's a quite, you know, I think I'm removing quasi, he's a fascist. Uh, I think any competent person would have uh, definitely, we, we would have had deaths, we would have had problems with coronavirus, not to this scale, but how do you defeat this if the Chuck Schumer, from what I hear, has no plan or to play hardball? Nancy Pelosi has talked about, no, we're not gonna threaten a government shutdown, which to me, uh, eight days, by the way, till the government uh, possibly shuts down without uh, additional funding. So she said, no, we're not gonna do that, which is a continuation of bringing a spoon to a, a knife fight. Um, yes. What is your response to, to me, they're meeting Republican treachery with, you know, crickets? The question in my mind is not whether Democrats are weak in their resistance to the coup underway or whether or not they are complicit. And it is alarming. And, and I want to make one, I'll get really sharp about this and then try to zoom back. Reproductive liberty is one reason that people are very concerned about the future of the Supreme Court, and they should be because reproductive rights are the most basic, fundamental example of human autonomy. If you can't control your own body, there's no way any of us can claim to be free. And it is entirely on brand for Nancy Pelosi to duck into a punch of undermining reproductive liberty because she hasn't defended it in all the ways that she can. I mean, this very year, she endorsed Dan Lipinski in Illinois and Henry Cuellar in Texas. These are reproductive authoritarians, anti-choice Democrats. And she endorsed them over challenges by young progressive women of color who favored reproductive liberty. So what does that tell you? That suggests not weakness. That suggests something worse than that. And it, you know, I'm not gonna chase conspiracy theories. I don't know what Nancy Pelosi wants to happen to the court, but to show up on national television within 36 hours of Justice Ginsburg's passing saying, we're gonna take options off the table is inexcusable. It is a profound failure of leadership at a time when we need people to show up for work. Now, the reason, again, I say that it might be complicity is this pattern is entirely well-established in Nancy Pelosi's history. It's why I am running for office to replace her, because I can't bear to see my city represented by a voice who does so much in Washington to pave Trump's path, while claiming to resist him based entirely on theatrical photo ops. You know, kneeling in kente cloth, pointing across a table, tearing up a speech, none of that matters. What would have mattered is maybe not signing or stumping for the military authorization that gave Trump three quarters of a trillion dollars in the middle of a pandemic 
to buy weapons that we don't even need. I mean, just to tug on that thread here, and this is, gets into the part of the failure of leadership, we have real national security crises confronting our country. There's a pandemic, there's a climate catastrophe, but it's killing Californians today. There is a threat to the republic's continuity in the form of you know the tax on the post office and the ability to conduct an election by mail. Those are all real national security threats, not a single one of which the Defense Department can do anything about. So why are we hurling $750 billion at a department addressing threats that we don't that don't even rank in the top three at the moment? What sense does this make? That's the supposed opposition. You know, and this we'll just keep this rolling. Nancy Pelosi, you were talking about do we have opposition in this country? Nancy Pelosi revived expired surveillance powers from the dead to give to Donald Trump, expanding his authority to suppress dissent within the United States. There was a crackdown by DHS goon squads in Portland and Kenosha. Democrats have been funding DHS for 17 years without a shred of oversight. I've watched all this in slow motion up close. I've, wa- I've worked in Washington twice as a leader and before that as a you know, senior staff of different civil rights organizations. And I have watched the corporate Democratic Party do everything they can to build this political moment. Fascism in America is not a recent fear for me. Many of us have seen it for decades. As a Muslim immigrant, it's been painfully obvious to me, particularly since 2001. And I've done everything I can over the last 20 years to stop it. And that included trying to stop Bush's wars and the Patriot Act. It included trying to stop Obama's deportations and drone strikes. It included challenging Trump's corruption, and it included, unfortunately, at every stage in those 20 years, having to also confront Nancy Pelosi's documented complicity. And the only reason she's been able to stay in Congress is because she raises as much money as she does and that she's managed to duck debates for 30 years. She hasn't debated anyone since 1987. And I assume she has not agreed to a debate with you. She is. She has refused ever to even acknowledge that we exist. She she pretends online as if she's running against Republicans, when when the, the first challenger she's faced, the viable challenge this year is from her left, and she claims as if you know her electoral antagonists are on the right, and it's not true at all. Um, you know, and I think that the fact that she gets a free pass from the local media for not debating anyone in 30 years is as in much an indictment of our democratic process as you know, the smear campaign to which I was subjected by the local press. I mean, it's, it's alarming to me uh, to see an election coming up in a few weeks when the electorate hasn't even had a chance to hear from the candidates. Like what, how, how does that, how do we invade other countries to impose democracy when we can't even figure it out here to that extent? And I think that for an incumbent to go 30 years without defending their record in public, it doesn't demonstrate a disrespect for me it demonstrates a disrespect for the city and democracy. The the entitlement that it reflects is, frankly, to me, as is as revolting as the incumbent's legislative history. I also want to mention. Uh, I sent you this earlier, but uh, in part, in addition to the Democrats giving uh, uh, Trump, uh, that's, I mean, DHS seven hundred forty uh, billion have gone to military. Just came out today that uh, $1 billion of the CARES Act from March that went to the Pentagon, they gave the Pentagon a billion dollars saying, hey, make masks and PPE equipment and, and, you know, preparedness for uh, 
coronavirus material in addition to uh, creating the infrastructure for an eventual vaccine. Well, guess what? That $1 billion that went to the Pentagon for the coronavirus got redirected to um, basically defense contractors to make uh, more weapons. What is your thoughts on that? Entirely predictable, so unacceptable. I mean, I, it, my first reaction was to, you know, not the acronym, but WTAF. And it, I, I don't understand how anybody gets away with this stuff. And it's not new. This is the kind of thing that has unfortunately been entirely well documented going back for decades. The architect of the military contracting system warned us that it would eat democracy and it would transform the spiritual character of the United States down to every city. That was Dwight Eisenhower. And and I see his warnings demonstrated in a million different ways. I've written a chapter in a book about this, all the different ways in which his warning came true from mass surveillance to tanks in the hands of local police departments to drone strikes to militarized police cracking down on dissent. Like the, this, this coup that we are witnessing has been unfolding in slow motion for at least 20 years. And if I had a nickel for every smug liberal who laughed at me while I talked about how bipartisan fascism was rising, I would be as wealthy as Nancy Pelosi. And I see, unfortunately, too many people who claim to be liberal, I'm using air quotes here, not understanding what the words mean. Like the, the word liberal has been so contorted in so many different ways. Like first it was demonized by the right wing in the 2000s and now it kind of stands in for centrist. But like liberal is supposed to be people who understand liberty, right? In the 19th century, liberties were like construed against the state. That's what those are people we call libertarians. 20th century liberals came to understand that the market can be oppressive. So to be liberated from the market requires progressive social interventions. Those are liberals, but now liberals have emerged as like corporate defenders in an era when we have an entire generation having been shafted by corporate rule so viciously that socialism for the first time in generations is once again a majority opinion within the United States. We've never had opportunities to advance that vision electorally because our system is so skewed from money and politics to skewed media representations. The way the Pentagon gets away with this kind of serial fraud, waste and abuse, the so many things to say here. I want to relate it back to the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, which was like the grand larceny of two and a half trillion dollars, you know, vastly outpacing a billion dollars. Like for a mere billion dollars to have been misdirected feels like a drop in the bucket, knowing that the Pentagon has lost track of 21 trillion dollars over the course of the last generation, which is just mind numbing. Like I don't think anybody can even conceive of that amount of money. 21 trillion dollars is staggering. And that's as much money as the Pentagon has unable to account for. Where did it go? What happened to it? What are we using it for? A lot of it's just accounting errors, but a lot of it's not. And what we're talking about here in the misdirection of these COVID funds, it's even worse because this is money that was appropriated to deal with an actual crisis, a real national security crisis. So it's not just military fraud, waste and abuse and corruption. It's making the crisis worse by taking money away from where it actually needs to be so that it can fill somebody's pocket. And that is not okay. Congress's first job is to check and balance the executive branch. And it has failed miserably time after time. And, and as much as the misdirection of these COVID funds makes the point, I see it demonstrated even more starkly in the runaway funding for DHS agencies. You know, people are, and we should be absolutely aghast and I, I just find it entirely unacceptable that we're practicing eugenics in concentration camps at our nation's border. 
and anybody has the gall to debate whether or not fascism is, is ascendant in the United States. Every Democrat who funded DHS over the last 17 years should be removed from office. There's no reason we're funding agencies that are building concentration camps to then pull tactics straight out of the Nazi playbook. That is not acceptable. I expect that from Republicans. Too many Democrats do it too, and I'm done with it. I mean, that's why I'm running for Congress to replace the head of the party, because Nancy Pelosi funded the concentration camps. Nancy Pelosi extended Trump's surveillance powers. Nancy Pelosi approved this military budget, the likes of which the world has never seen. Why is Donald Trump wielding the biggest checks for a military establishment that our planet and species have ever seen in the middle of a pandemic of all times? I mean, it's so grotesque. I just, I, it amazes me that people go to work under a system like this and, and, and consent. You know, we, we talk about living in a land of the free and a home of the brave. I, those shoes fit increasingly poorly as far as I can tell. We should also point out that these same Democrats have been voting overwhelmingly uh, to confirm uh, district and uh, non-Supreme Court judges all over the country. Uh, that yes. McConnell is, they're creating a, they, the Democrats are handing conservatives across the country um, a huge, huge, um, just generational advantage on the courts all over the country. Not about Ginsburg, but looking back, because you're raising a super important point that a lot of people on the left forget. And I have a particular interest in this. I worked for three years on the senior staff of the American Constitution Society for Law and Policy. ACS was founded in the wake of the Bush versus Gore decision to try to counter the influence of the Federalist Society, which since the 1970s has basically captured our federal courts and closed them as an avenue for justice. The courts are a crucial part of the constitutional design, taking them off the table as a way for people to get relief when institutions like government agencies and corporations abuse us and our communities is a critical part of the right-wing project. Justice Lewis Powell laid out that strategy in an infamous memo where he basically forecast the centrality of the courts to promoting political perspectives. What Democrats, I've, so I've, I've watched this for the better part of 20 years. I've spent three years helping prepare a pipeline of potential appointees for the next Democratic president. And I'm so disappointed in so many different ways in the legacy of the Obama administration. But one of the ones that I think he doesn't get enough blame for, and like, yes, there's the drone strikes, yes, the deportations, yes, the crackdown on the press, yes, failing to show up for working people, prepping the landscape for Trump. And I don't want to beat up on the Obama administration because he's frankly still probably the, I hate to say it, but the best president in my lifetime. Um, the thing here that I'm particularly alarmed by is the judges, because when President Obama had the appointing authority as a constitutional law professor who understood what was at stake more than anybody, he appointed prosecutors of color and called it a day. And that pipeline of progressive jurists that we prepared, one of them got, got nominated for a circuit court appointment. He didn't get confirmed and the administration left him twisting in the wind. He ended up getting appointed to the California State Supreme Court where you know, he has an opportunity to, to advance the jurisprudence in a different arena. But this idea that Democrats have abdicated and conceded the judiciary long before now, this goes back into the Clinton era. Democrats, it's, you know, it's been 40 years since there was a president actively appointing actual progressive or liberal judges. Even when we've had Democratic presidents, they've still appointed prosecutors and corporate lawyers. They've just made sure that they were a diverse set of prosecutors and corporate lawyers and the tokenization of representation and the tokenization of identity 
and the needs of our communities that have frankly been weaponized by a bipartisan establishment against us is is a big part of the problem. And it's infected the judiciary in a way that's already long before the Senate allowed Trump in the last four years to reshape the judiciary and his ideological image. Something like a third of the judges have been appointed by this criminal president. Think about that for a second. The judges, the people we're supposed to go to when the government or corporations run roughshod over our rights were appointed by this maniac with the consent of Democratic senators. What is the point of voting for Democrats when they pave the road for the right wing? And that's why I'm running against Pelosi, because there there really is not any good answer to that question. And 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 I'm tired of seeing the American people fleeced by people who are claiming to stand with us, especially knowing that there are so many people who are just overt in their predation. We need people to actually resist fascism. And if there's anything I know, it's how to do that. I'm a Muslim immigrant in the United States. I was in law school when 9-11 happened and the unfolding set of horrors that Paul Krugman you know, downplayed very prolifically recently. I mean, what my community's been subjected to we're like canaries in a coal mine. And I've known, I've seen this coming for 20 years. And I've done everything I can to stop it while Nancy Pelosi has unfortunately accelerated this crisis at every opportunity. And our city deserves better. Our country deserves, deserves better. The future deserves better. And I'm eager to do everything I can to get out of the position of saying yet again, I told you so, and hopefully helping us step over some of these predictable pitfalls into which the establishment keeps dragging. How does a guy like you win in California? I mean, I'm looking at the numbers for the primary. Uh, she got, obviously it wasn't a head to head, but she got 74% of the vote. You got 13%. Now it is, uh, I mean, I think there's a Republican uh, running in the general too, but I mean, there's, there's not. not. Okay. Just to so, be clear, I knocked all the Republicans out. Our, our primary system allows only the top okay. two, and I am the first Democrat in 30 years. So that's how we win, first of all, is just by being another Democrat on the ballot. She's never had another Democrat against her ever in 30 years. Well, what I mean by how do you win is, you know, when I look at somebody like Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, she won in New York. Uh, You know, the districts she she represents are not San Francisco. You know, San Francisco, you know better than I, but my understanding is, you know, it's kind of the old guard, Democratic establishment, a lot of young people, but do they come out? So how does somebody like you, you know, a month or so till election, uh, also, given you know these negative headlines you've had to deal with, how do you how do you gather enough new voters? Because I think in this case it would be that Bernie strategy of galvanizing as much people who don't vote or have become cynical and stop voting for a couple cycles. How do you win? Because it's going to take a huge amount of voter turnout, a lot of new voters, uh, and you know Pelosi. Uh, She's going to have those traditional, particularly older voters, you know, people with money, six figure types uh, to come out for her. And every labor union in the city, just to be clear, like the the establishment progressives in San Francisco don't support their own stated principles. They support the incumbent because she's powerful. So the headwinds I'm running into include a local media landscape that has been more inclined to print lies about me than anything about what I'm running on or the issues a you know the local progressive organized establishment abandoning this race in the face of this smear campaign that ultimately promoted the incumbent and the establishment uh and out you know we've been outspent 15 to 1 nancy pelosi is the leading corporate fundraiser in the house and every labor union in the city has undermined the interests of its rank and file by endorsing the incumbent who opposes working class interests so those are very profound headwinds on the other side of it, 
billboards for our campaign have literally been written in the sky. On September 9th, the sky was blood red at high noon. And I can't conceive of or even fathom a more compelling and widely visible indication that something is amiss and wrong. And I think the real question in our race, it's a test of our democracy and it's a test, frankly, of San Francisco. Is San Francisco care enough about our own principles and the future to show up for them now that we have the first chance in a generation to do it? Or are we so ultimately brainwashed by corporate media sources that we falsely think we're being represented by a line of the left who, in fact, paves the road to fascism? And you know, I, I, all I can do is articulate the platform and reach as many voters as we can. Uh, I will say that people with an interest in the future who share our principles, anyone, anywhere, can make a difference. We are actively phone banking and text banking. Anybody's welcome to join us at shawhid.fyi slash volunteer. If anybody dialed for Bernie, the system will look very familiar. Uh, the people that I hired after we won the primary were a bunch of Bernie campaign veterans. And so that is besides why the campaign accelerated so much before the smear campaigns hit. Uh, and it's why we're still poised to win this race in spite of all the headwinds that you described. I'd, I'd put it this way. The way we win the race is simply by the failure of the establishment becoming so inescapably obvious. And it is now so inescapably obvious. A quarter million Americans practically close to that have died from a disease that was, frankly, it didn't have to be this bad. No other country in the world has suffered the way we have. And I, one big reason for that, the most obvious reason for that is that we don't let people get care or medicine when they need it. We condition access to care on cost on the market. And that was always an abuse of human rights. And now it's just senselessly stupid and idiotic. And we see it demonstrated in the statistics every day with every person dying alone, gasping for breath. We are seeing the failure of an establishment with every family that's getting evicted because they can't go to work while the government and the economy shut down. That is a failure of leadership and policy with every person who has to flee their home because the entire state the entire West Coast has been on fire. That's a failure of policy. And these failures of policy demand accountability. I'm grateful for the chance to be the first Democrat to face Nancy Pelosi in a generation. And if San Franciscans care enough about change and want it, I'm looking forward to representing our city in Washington in the next congressional session. And uh, I just want to read a question from a viewer, Super Chat, Michael Williams. Uh, Shahid, Shahid, explain why anyone should bother voting when both parties are essentially the same when it comes to fiscal, foreign, and military policy. I'll add on to that. Um, you know, obviously this isn't about your race, but when you look at Biden versus Trump, I understand the dangers of Trump, but I also think it's my job to tell vote, uh, viewers the truth. Even if Biden wins, I mean, he's basically told Wall Street donors, you're good, right? Uh, Biden has not called for anything uh, to meet the moment during the pandemic, not a universal basic income, not expanding Medicare, uh, basically, you know, some vagueness about restoring the soul of something. So he's not, even if we get rid of Trump, yeah, the wine moms and the upper class will, you know, be able to go back to brunch, but those who have lost their jobs, those who have no health care right now, uh, those in San Francisco that are victims of gentrification, uh, they're pretty much in the same place. I mean, obviously, if you're black, brown, you face a graver threat from Trump. We understand that. But what do you say to those discouraged people, both on the federal level from voting, but also people in San Francisco? Maybe they're watching this for the first time. They weren't going to vote. Why should people vote if basically both parties, there's so much overlap? 
It's very difficult for me to defend the Biden uh, campaign. I, you know, I, I don't have a great deal in common with his platform. Representative Ocasio-Cortez, you know, very early uh, on after the field coalesced around Biden, made the point that in no other country would we be in the same party because, frankly, he's much closer to Trump than he is to us. Um, and I, you know, I, I share the skepticism of the opportunity for change. In fact, if I am so fortunate to represent San Francisco and Washington, I will be fighting the next administration from the left, whoever it is. I don't know which character of conservatism it will be if it's Trump's fascism outright or if it's merely Biden's uh, deference to corporate rule and the military industrial complex. Neither of those are acceptable to me. And, and I'm running, the precise reason I am running for Congress is to challenge either of those outcomes. I am an immigrant who cares about the United States and wants to preserve our values in a time of crisis and wants to retain some modicum of democracy, wants to meet the needs of our communities. And that's why I'm running. I think the, the disillusion with the parties and the, and the recognition that they do so much to support each other is precisely why I'm trying to knock the leader of the corporate Democratic Party out of her chair. Because as long as she is in Congress, nothing will happen in Congress either, right? I mean, the point about Biden is true with respect to the executive branch. The same thing is true of Nancy Pelosi. As long as she remains in Congress, the Green New Deal will remain a dream. As long as Nancy Pelosi remains in Congress, anytime there's a proposed surveillance authority, it will pass. As long as Nancy Pelosi remains in the House, there won't be any meaningful resistance to this criminal administration or whatever conservative follows him. We need members of Congress who understand the oath of office enough to stand up for it when it matters, who recognize what it means to fight domestic enemies of our Constitution like our criminal president. We need members of Congress who are close enough to the lived experience of Americans to understand when we're in crisis. You know, I, my family lost our home when I was 16 years old. It took me 10 years to get my undergrad degree because I worked and went to night school. I understand what it's like to struggle, and I know what people are going through now. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi is as someone who is, let's just say, very removed from any of the crises to which the rest of us are subjected, um, you know, either has been unable or remains unwilling to do the job of representing the people of San Francisco and, and defending the interests of we, the people of the United States. And uh, last question, you know, to me, I look at what's going on in California, Portland with these wildfires. Of course, I mean, the corporate media, you're lucky if they even talk about climate change. But the dirty little secret, of course, it's the fossil fuel companies, but really what's creating these uh, wildfires is the big banks that Nancy Pelosi is a servant of. I mean, these fossil fuel projects are not happening without mega major banks funding them. Uh, we saw that there has been divestment campaigns against some of the big banks that have been successful. But you know, if you were on a debate stage with Nancy Pelosi, or if, because frankly, you're gonna have to get some of those traditional normie Democrats who mindlessly just go every time and vote for Pelosi. What would be your message to for them to rethink? You know, I don't think Bernie necessarily spoke to these older, more traditional Democratic voters uh, the way in terms of think about your grandchildren, think about your children. What would be your message to them to actually take a minute and not automatically vote for Pelosi? Why is she complicit in these wildfires, the climate catastrophe? And why should they, you know, give somebody new a shot? The policy paradigm of Congress over the last generation is one of deference and active support for the fossil fuel industries, not just in our energy policy, but even our foreign policy. 
right? Every country we invade for oil is serving that industry. It's like we we have an intersectional set of policies designed to serve and subsidize fossil fuel extraction. And it's senseless. There's no reason, frankly, that we should even allow people to, the, 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 mon- the, the monetary incentive to engage in resource plunder inherently robs the future. That's embedded in the business model. And we don't have markets, for instance, in uh, people's votes. We don't have at least legal markets for you know people's body parts, and that's because the legal regime conditions the market, right? We could just as easily say fossil fuel extraction is a thing that if it's going to happen, it's not going to happen to make somebody wealthy, but instead because it needs to happen. Like there, there, it's a perfect case for nationalization of an industry, just like weapons manufacturing. That's another industry that shouldn't have its own parochial interest driving policy, but we see that happen time and time again. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi has overseen a historic rise in fracking across the country. Uh, there's, she's not been an active agent of seeking climate justice and, in fact, has actively stood on the other side. She derides the Green New Deal as the Green New Dream or whatever. And while she has talked a big game about environmentalism, it's really just like every other issue where she claims to stand for progressive interests. It's all talk without policy. This is exactly why she should debate and why I think that voters in San Francisco who might be coming to the race or considering their options for the first time might also share their interest in a debate. Debates have a crucial role in our democracy. And again, the refusal of an incumbent for 30 years to defend their ideas in public might suggest that their ideas are indefensible. And in fact, that's true here. I think everybody on Pelosi's team knows that if she shows up for a debate against me, it's the end of her career. And it's precisely because her record is indefensible. Well, I, I should, I should also add, running. sorry to interrupt, she's, gotten, test, she's gotten testy when even the most little, uh, the, the very scarce pushback from journalists. I mean, Jake Tapper kind of asked her, like, yep. maybe your strategy isn't so good uh, a couple interviews ago. And she got extremely testy to the point of how dare you question me. Not only testy and, and, and entitled, but she said that there's no point in considering what might have been. And that is the attitude of somebody who doesn't show up for debates for 30 years and treats their office like an entitlement. There's absolutely a point in debating what might have been because her record is so demonstrably unacceptable. And, and I, again, I don't want to hammer this too hard. It's, the question is, is it the case that Nancy Pelosi has been actively complicit in advancing conservative goals or has she simply been unable to stop the steamrolling conservative train you know the evidence suggests that she's much more active than we would wish and that's why we have to remove her from congress because as long as nancy pelosi is in congress the republican party will have an easy path to achieve all of its objectives she frankly is the crux of conservative rule and i can make that case different ways we haven't talked about this but just a thing to throw on the table we talked about a lot of recent issues the very first thing she did as the speaker in this congressional session was imposed the PAYGO rules, conservative Republican accounting rules. This is this was not an act of weak, ineffectual resistance. This was an act of complicity with conservative goals. And there's absolutely no good reason why a voice actively promoting conservative goals should represent a city that is among the proudest progressive capitals of this country. And I'm eager to offer us a new voice in Washington. And to end, I just want to read one more viewer super chat. Uh, Nancy says, I live in Russian Hill neighborhood in a small rent control department in San Francisco. Strongly support Shahid. My, quote, liberal neighbors love Pelosi. So I'm sure there's a lot of that uh, where 
you know, you have those older and it's not, you know, I don't want to be blanket that it's all old people because there's older progressives, too. But that kind of entrenched. They've been fed that Nancy Pelosi is kind of like a yes queen fighter against Trump and Bush. Uh, and they might not know uh, underneath all that marketing and branding of her. Uh, she's been very complicit in furthering the conservative project. Yeah, you nailed it. I think it's less generational and much more about how much attention somebody pays. If anybody pay people who pay attention to politics in San Francisco break for us because they recognize what the incumbent is doing, and people who watch MSNBC or corporate news and don't actually investigate the facts or read independent news sources, they fall for the spin and the corporate propaganda. They think that Nancy Pelosi is Trump's greatest antagonist when she is in fact his greatest enabler in Washington and that's all the that's exactly why we have to replace her. I, I see ultimately our election as a referendum on how sophisticated San Francisco is and, and is it hoodwinked by the beltway and corporate media or are we still the proud progressive mecca of the West Coast? And you know the the uh, last piece I just say here is is I see in that attitude of the uh, the older folks you were describing I, if there's a if I am guilty of the political crime of saying different things in different crowds it is basically what I emphasize and I emphasize climate justice to younger folks and to older folks because you were mentioning the old people who've been here and voted for many times for those people what I emphasize and it's not inconsistent I have this you know these are both parts of my platform but I emphasize universal health care. You were saying, you know, worry, think about your kids and your grandkids. I say that to younger people, to older people who I wish, well, I'll just, to older people, I often say, just think about yourselves. 40% of cancer patients exhaust their life savings within the first year of diagnosis and treatment. Right. And any physician will talk who deals in palliative or end of life care about the spend down to Medicaid. That's our policy is to use sickness as an extraction opportunity and then kick sick people into the street and... I don't think any American wants that. We are better than that as a civilization. We can do better than that. All we have to do is change some people in Congress who are willing to stand with our communities before corporations. And I'm excited to be a part of that wave in the next session. And one more time, where can people find out more if they want to volunteer or help you in some way? Check us out online. We're at shahidforchange.us or on any of the major social media platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at shahidforchange. Cool. Thank you, Shahid. We'll be in touch. Right on. Thanks for having me on, Jordan. It's always great to be with you. I want to play this clip. I got one thing on Trump and then one thing on Biden. This is Trump. We know is a sociopath. This is moving into psychopath territory. Just bear with me if you didn't hear this last night. Oh, the disease. We didn't know it. Now we know it. It affects elderly people, elderly people with heart problems and other problems. If they have other problems, that's what it really affects. That's it. You know, in some states, thousands of people, nobody young, below the age of 18, like nobody. They have a strong immune system. Who knows? You look at you. Take your hat off to the young because they have a hell of an immune system. But it affects virtually nobody. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. By the way, open your schools. Everybody open your schools. Sleepy Joe Biden wants to impose a $4 trillion. I don't want to do the cable news thing of just like outrage, 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 Trump, Trump, Trump. But literally on the eve of 200,000 deaths related to the coronavirus. And again, I don't even think that number's correct. I think it's a lot more than that. Uh, there's a lot of people that have died at their homes that have not been counted. 
uh, I think that's going to be revised upwards at some point. That this man has the audacity to say it affects very few people. It's astounding. I mean, it's not just the fact that it's obviously factually absurd. It is immoral. I mean, all the people that have not been able to have proper funerals for their family. All the people that could not even be physically next to their loved ones who have died. All the people, imagine your loved one is in the hospital or something like that. You rush to the hospital. All the people that while their loved ones were dying had to speak on FaceTime or through a nurse on speakerphone. All the Trump supporters who have got this and possibly died from his super spreading events. This is a psychopath. And by the way, one of the traits of a psychopath, I didn't go to school for psychology, but I know a little bit about it, is they don't understand, the. they no longer, they lie so much, particularly to themselves, that they no longer can separate what's reality and what's a lie. Reality versus, you know, fantasy, it's all blurred together. He might very well actually think, yeah, it doesn't affect that many people. 200,000, that's like what I lose on a casino in one night. I mean, it's outrageous. And which, what's even more outrageous, well, it's not more outrageous, but it, it goes to show you, if you had, representing the Democratic Party right now, just a living, breathing man, woman, white, black, brown, doesn't even matter what age, if you had, representing the Democratic Party right now, just anyone who could emote hope, anyone that could emote, here is exactly what I'm going to do to give you relief on health care, on economics, and it's just plain spoken, easy to digest, Medicare for all, $2,000 a month while this pandemic is going on, free pre-K, a bold vision even by the way somebody who doesn't even believe it is just feeding you bull to get elected which politicians do all the time i give you president obama when he was a candidate if you had a half living breathing democratic candidate who could do to who could offer something more than restoring the soul of america and build back better and blah 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 yeah yang's one of them not my cup of tea, but it would be better than Biden. We would already be talking about his first term because he'd be blowing out Trump by 20 to 25 points nationally. The battleground states would not be Pennsylvania right now is four or five points. Wisconsin, Michigan, five to eight points. It would not even be close, folks. But you don't have that. And this is how 
extremists, conservatives, Tea Partiers, birthers, uh, you know, just the most vile of the vile politicians, man or woman, on the Republican side. This is how they continue to win because their opposition is empty platitudes, not offering the real forgotten man and woman, those people that are working two to three jobs, those people who maybe they have health care but can't even use it because it's too expensive, those people who don't have health care, those people who are drinking poisoned water, those people who are victims to gentrification and have been moved out, have had to move out of their communities because they've been priced out. When you don't offer anything other than vague uh, consultant, dr- consultant driven platitudes, it keeps elections close, even against psychopaths like President Trump. And that's what we have here. In addition to saying, um, President, you know, it does, coronavirus barely affects anyone, in the same speech, he talked about the genes. The, you know, oh, you people from Milwaukee, you have wonderful genes. You know who else talked about genes and citizens and, their, uh, and, you know, superior genes? A man named Adolf Hitler. I've been one of the few people who hasn't gone there. You know, I don't think Trump and his horribleness is quite to that level yet, I, you know. But... Adolf Hitler, you know, how that all started was talk like that. When the president at a speech at at a rally yesterday was talking about how the people, you know, people of Milwaukee, you got superior genes, just happened to be an all white crowd. Yet, right now, I know what the polls say, but I don't feel it's a slam dunk that Trump, that Biden's gonna win. Frankly, right now, uh, Crystal Ball covered it on Rising, I believe, today. Well, I'll cover it this week. Pennsylvania right now might toss over 100,000 ballots because of uh, a technicality related to something called naked ballots. So as terrible as Trump is, be just as bad at the Democratic Party, who, why is this even close? And oh, by the way, Oh, by the way, not only is Joe Biden, not only is he, it's bad enough that he has just ignored progressives, given, basically said, take a hike, I don't need you. Here's what he had to say today. Talk to the voters that are worried about socialism and you raising taxes. First of all, I guarantee, I promise, I've never broken my word, anyone making less than $400,000 will not see one single penny in their tax raised. Number two, I beat the socialists. That's how I got elected. That's how I got the nomination. Do I look like a socialist? Look at my career, my whole career. I am not a socialist. I beat the socialist. I beat the socialist. The socialist of whom voters, I'm too stupid to realize I need more than moderate Republicans. I beat the socialist. And, you know, I saw on Twitter people were saying, Jordan, you're making a bigger deal than it is. He wasn't, you know, criticizing Bernie. Um, I don't know. 
to me, it sounded pretty derogatory about socialism. To me, it sounded pretty dismissive of the person you beat and his movement. If you act, if he actually cared, if his campaign cared to persuade and court the millions of people that voted for Bernie, many of them who either are not going to vote for Biden or are on the fence about voting for Biden, you would say, uh, yeah, well, as I made clear in the campaign, I don't agree with socialism. However, you know, Bernie Sanders references, Bernie Sanders calls himself a democratic socialist. We might not agree with everything, but I agree with many of his principles. There's a way of saying I'm not a socialist while being deferential and complimentary of Bernie Sanders and his movement. But the problem is Joe Biden does dismiss Bernie Sanders, just like the Democratic Party dismisses Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden does have uh, venom towards the idea of socialism. Remember during one of the debates, he said, yeah, this is America, pal, when Bernie referenced Denmark or whatever country he was referencing their system. It's the total arrogance and dismissiveness, forget the term socialism, but of Bernie and the voters that have represented Bernie. Why would you not be doing a full full court press on those voters? Because some morons around you that are from Bill Clinton's error and from Barack Obama's error are telling you, no, no, there's more opportunity. There's more opportunity in getting moderate Republican votes? No, there's not. You know, I don't know how I know. Look at Mitt Romney. Is Mitt Romney considered one of these moderate Republicans? Well, he just came out today and said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm down with the Republicans and their coup d'etat of the Supreme Court. I'm going to side with the utter hypocrisy of Republicans completely flip-flopping on 2016. No, no, we can't name a Supreme Court justice or confirm a Supreme Court justice at that point, like nine months before the election. Now, oh, amnesia. No, no, it's fine because it's in our favor. These resistance people who have made Mitt Romney and people like him into like, you know, our friends. Well, Mitt Romney, who is quote unquote, a moderate, one of these moderate Republicans showed you what Joe Biden's campaign doesn't realize. Moderate Republicans do not make decisions or vote based on morality, folks. They do it based on self-interest. They want their tax cuts, quote unquote, moderate Republicans that Joe Biden is catering to. They, most of them are avidly pro-life and that's a major consideration for them. Most of them are down with deregulation. Most of them are hardcore Blue Lives Matter. How do I know this? Because I've traveled the country and I've spoken with a lot of them. Are there some Republicans that will put the country first and their taxes will go up a little bit? Some, not more than that bucket of progressive voters that voted for Bernie, not more than that bucket of voters under the age of 40, black and brown. That's who you should be courting, not John Kasich, not Colin Powell, Meg Whitman, Michael Bloomberg, and the rest of these gas bags. But it, it, it's almost like Joe Biden wants to rerun Hillary Clinton's campaign, only stupider.
It's really, really something.